Hello guys and welcome back to the Back to Goal podcast. My name is Cameron Smith and I'll be your host today. And as ever, I'm joined by my co-host Jamie Monks. Jamie, how are you doing today? Yeah, no, doing very well. Obviously, um, yeah, we, we, both our teams got a win this weekend. Yeah, pretty pleased with that. Uh, we've just come back from university. A lot of long, yeah. long day shift. That's, that's why we've recorded this this episode a little bit later on. Um, but you know, still, still ready to really you know, delve into what's been happening this weekend. Yeah, so obviously a big weekend of European football that we've uh, just watched. Obviously, like you said, recording on a Monday, so this episode might be released slightly later. But overall, I thought you know a good weekend of football. Um, like we always have, really. Um, and we might as well start with sort of the final game that we watched of the weekend, which was at Goodison Park. Everton won, Man United two. Obviously, your team, Manchester United, picking up a win, and Cristiano Ronaldo with the winner. Yeah, a pretty pretty horrid sight for me, <laughs> all things considered. But yeah, this game, when you look at it on the fixture list, you think this is an absolute banana peel and a half. Yeah, you know, uh, just a random Sunday 7 p.m. kickoff. So strange. Yeah, why it I, I don't think I've ever seen that no, in I terms of Premier really. League fixture. You know, at Goodison Park, where in recent years we really have been, you know, embarrassed there. In, in recent times, I remember Ollie and I think Ollie's first season, we lost there four nil. Um, so yeah, you know, great to get the win, you know, finally because it feels like it's been a long time coming there. Yeah, obviously came from behind. Awobi opened the scoring. Who's a player who's sort of been re- revitalised really in the role that Frank Lampard's having playing. Obviously, Everton were seven games unbeaten coming into this game, so it is actually a pretty big win for for United. And so yeah, a huge three points. Obviously, Ronaldo came off the bench for Martial, who picked up an injury, another injury for Martial. Mm. Just when you think. Maybe it's his time to step up and be the starting striker for Manchester United. Picks up an injury. Obviously, Ronaldo comes on and scores. But for Martial himself, it would be pretty disappointing stuff. Yeah, no, just when he pulls me back in, I'm fully on board the Martial FC train again. He goes and does that. You know, just just like, it's, it's what? It's like a little back pain in the warm-up. I mean, surely it's not that. If you start the game, surely it can't be that bad. But clearly, he's it's got worse as the game's gone on. And he's had to come off, you know. I mean, for the first our first goal, uh, we win the ball back in midfield. Adrisage has that really sloppy touch. Bruno passes it to Martial. Martial with a perfectly weighted ball to Anthony, and then Anthony does what you know Anthony's uh, renowned for, but he's not really. <laughs> it's weird because I'd never have considered him a particularly like clinical player at Ajax. Yeah. Like he was always player someone who was really creative and was more the person who'd produced the final pass rather than mm. the goal really I mean his connection with Seb Haller was, was pretty impressive especially in the Champions League but yeah he started with some really good goal scoring form which is not mm. what I thought would happen obviously to the you know joy of Eric Ten Hag who's you know spent a lot of money and put a lot of faith in Anthony he's come up with what three goals in three games yeah so, and pretty impressive pretty identical goals in terms of he, he, when you look at his goal reel in terms of his Ajax collection um, he, he's always got that shift in his locker it is like it's not on the level of Henri, but it's that it's that similar opening your body up. Yeah, and obviously on the other side. Yeah, yeah. far corner, just basically passing it into goal. He's, he's got that in his locker. It's whether you know when you put him in other situations in the box, whether he's got that sort of clinical edge there, which we haven't seen so far. Yeah, it does potentially seem like he's one trick pony, I guess. But at the same same time, it's worked so far, yeah. and it, it seems like. To be fair, I wasn't too impressed with that. He didn't really stand out in the game, and I'm not sure he's quite stood out in any of the games really. Like he's not really. Like caught caught the eye particularly, but he's getting on the score sheet, and that's mm. sort, of the, sort of the most important thing, really. Now, one thing about Anthony as well is he so far we've seen him for five games. Um, he puts in a shift, whereas you know someone like Sancho or Rashford or Martial, in terms of off the ball work, mm-hmm. they are pretty pretty horrid off the ball workers. Um, whereas Anthony is is always fighting for that for that second ball. Um, and you, you talk about one trick pony, you know, Iron Robin. Yeah. One of the best ones. There you go. Yeah. yeah, literally. Yeah. Um, and well, for the second goal, we've spoken about United's first. It's obviously won in midfield by Casemiro and plays, you know, first time pass then into Ronaldo, who finishes well. I think Pickford probably could do better. Um, but mm. for Casemiro, I think he started the game pretty slowly, but but grew into it. And the way he sort of patrols midfield is something I know that caught your eye. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean we, we haven't had a midfielder like that in a while. Where he just looks like he w- he can win the ball back every time. He looks like he can lose it half the time. <laughs> yeah, well, but, in possession he's not looked actually yeah, that great. But what, 
what happened so so much in the game was um, he just give the ball away, but just win it back straight away because that's what he does have. He, he can sort of he can get the def- like the attacker squared at him, and he can just say to him, "Go either side. I'm still tackling you." And um, you know, just the way he can always just you know square up to a man and say, "You're mine, mate." It's something to really be desired, and obviously he does show a little bit of quality for for the uh, Ronaldo goal. You know, head up straight away, plays that pass. You know, someone like McTominay. Does he see that straight away or does he think, wow, I've won the ball, let's just shift it off as quickly as possible? Yeah, it's definitely, obviously the first, you know, Everton's goal was sort of Casemiro getting caught in possession. Mm. So you've certainly seen, you know, the, the good side and the bad side of having Casemiro in midfield. So certainly positives are taken. I think that it's perhaps the performance that will cement his place in the starting lineup, which hasn't really happened so far. I mean, with, with McTominay getting suspended, you, you should hope so. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Fred... Is I think he's injured right now. So yeah, no, this should give him the opportunity to really you know get a regular run in the team and hopefully you know take us to that next level. Right, we'll move on to our game of the weekend section then. Um, we've obviously discussed one Premier League game there, but we're going to discuss another because your game of the weekend is Arsenal's win over Liverpool. Yes, it is. It's. Uh... Uh, just a, I wouldn't say a passing of the guard, but certainly a shift in momentum between the two clubs. You know, we, we've seen Arsenal just uh, ascend to a really high level of football, and uh, Liverpool sort of go the other way. Yeah, it's been it's been troubling for Liverpool. Like they're below yeah. Bournemouth, who they beat nine nil in the season. Like it is looking like worrying. And also, one thing that caught my eye before we sort of delve into Arsenal was just. Jurgen Klopp's substitutions really so, alarming. was so yeah. bizarre. I mean, sure, bring on Canate. Okay, you bring on Joe Gomez for Trent. Obviously, it looked like there was probably an injury involved because of what happened with with Martinelli with mm. Trent. But you know, Canate comes on, Gomez comes on. You you take off Salah. You move Henderson to right wing. Bring on Fabinho, Harvey Elliott. It just felt. I know. I know Firmino came on, but it felt quite negative from Klopp in terms of his the way he set up. And you finish the game, and you've got Thiago and Fabinho. In midfield, you've got Javier on the left wing, you've got Jordan Henderson on the right wing. It's just, it just didn't really make much sense to me. I'm wondering now because the, the, you know the selection is so bizarre in terms of the way the, the way Liverpool finished the game. Whether that was sort of like a subtle dig from Klopp to say to FSG, you know, look at the the resources that I've got on the pitch right now. You know, I've got Javier Elliott, a, a 19 year old left wing, really inexperienced. And meanwhile, City they can go and sign Haaland, um, Sergio Gomez, uh, Calvin Phillips, who's not even started for him, um, and he's just sat on the bench doing niche. Uh, meanwhile, I'm I'm stuck with this. You know what I mean? <laughs> doing niche. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty accurate to what Calvin Phillips has, has done so far yeah. at Manchester City. But yeah, for Liverpool, it is worrying that midfield depth was something that they should have fixed in the summer. Realistically, um, quite how John Henderson is playing so much, I'm not really sure at this stage. Um, and there's definitely issues because going into this game, I did have a feeling Arsenal would win. It's just the momentum and the trajectory of both teams sort of was pointing that direction. But it's still Liverpool in a big game. Like you still expect them to be dangerous and provide yeah. threat. And a lot of the time, it was pretty comfortable for Arsenal. I thought. I know Arsenal played very well. I know Tommy Asu. I mean, he came in for his first start thing of the season at left back against yeah. Salah, and Salah did nothing. Very concerning the form of Salah and. We can discuss Trent a little bit, but he's sort of getting the Harry Maguire treatment online of the make one mistake, it gets you know clowned online, and then anything remotely close to a mistake is, is deemed a mistake, and he didn't have a good game, that's mm. for sure. Martinelli was 100% getting the better of him. Um, and yeah, Trent, it's a worrying thought. I mean, getting hooked at half-time, I know there probably was an injury related to it, but it's not really a good look mm. that Martinelli sort of forced you off the pitch. Yeah, well, one thing I will say about this game was Liverpool did have a really good spell in, in the first half I thought where even though they were playing basically 4-2-4 I thought Thiago and, and Henderson you know I don't really give any flowers to Henderson at all but I thought I thought there was a period where they did sort of you know really get some control in the game so that's one thing I will give them but after after that I mean the second half was an embarrassing performance yeah from Liverpool just discussing Liverpool's goal I mean we've mentioned it before on the podcast about how Gabriel is the, the weak link in Arsenal's defence and yet again, it was sort of yeah. his error, the way he sort of sort of tries to prod away the, the through ball and just doesn't really get enough contact on it. And then, you know, doesn't really track the run of Nunes as perhaps as well as he could do. And he's just scrambling from there. And it's another mistake. And do you think it's now time that he goes from the starting line? I, I think it's uh, it's quite it's quite shocking management if he doesn't 
shocking. Yeah, it's that I, far. I, I think I think he is so consistently costing you goals. Not quite games at the moment, but maybe the United game for that uh, you know that rush challenge he does on on Bruno. But he's so often costing you shipping goals, yeah. whereas the rest of the defence has been pretty faultless. Yeah, Saliba's been unreal next yeah. to him. Obviously, the handball that doesn't get given as a penalty was against Gabriel that, that potentially could have been a penalty, yeah. and that's 3 all if if you know. And then there's two two errors from Gabriel leads to Liverpool goal. So, yeah, he's definitely got away with one for the penalty, I think. And, yeah, the Nunes' goal was completely his fault, really. Yeah. It should, he should just be dealing with that. It shouldn't get to a stage where Nunes is able to sort of tap in from six yards mm-hmm. out. So yeah, Gabriel's definitely got questions to answer for. Yeah. yeah, even though you know Gabriel Jesus didn't score, I thought it was you know absolutely incredible that game. The, the, the way the the ball just glues to him all the time. You know, he's, he's not he's not the biggest guy. He's, he's not like your, your classic target man. But wh- whenever it goes into him, it always seems to stick, and he always seems to find a way to sort of wriggle around. And I I just think you know right now he's he's one of one of the best number nines in the world. Yeah, he's been very good this season and perhaps shown what a talent he really is that was perhaps hidden slightly at Manchester City. But another Gabriel that was, you know, pretty impressive was Martinelli, a player that uh, I'm not sure if the listeners will know, but a player that you haven't rated for for quite some time now, but he's clearly had an unreal game and has had a, a very good season so far. Yeah, you know, he is having a, a, a wonderful purple patch. You know, fair, fair play to the lad. Um, but yeah, no, this game was pretty, pretty electric. It was like every time you're feeding the ball, you, you feel something's going to happen. Yeah, he's definitely got stuff to work on. I think if he can make a couple of adjustments to his dribbling style and the way he plays slightly, he could become a world-class player. But for you, what is it that sort of puts you off Gabriel Martinelli? Because it's something that you know you've expressed to me before. Uh, well, it's just it's the head down dribbling. Well, I mean, what are you doing? Get your head up, son. You know what I mean? You, you're a professional footballer. You should be able to, you know, dribble looking up. And there's, there's so there's so many times where you see him sort of run down a cul-de-sac because he's not aware of what's going on around him when he's dribbling. Now, you can you can dribble at pace, but it's where he's going and what he's doing and and how effective he is with it, which you know sort of grinds my gears a little bit. Do you not find the way he can go? Both ways, quite impressive though, because yeah. he is very like two footed in that regard. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll always commend two footedness. Yeah, I, I think it should sort of be a, a given for every professional footballer. To I be agree, honest, to be fair, yeah, um, you know, someone like Salah who just, just spent his whole career just cutting in on his left foot is uh, pretty embarrassing. A bit like Anthony, maybe that we mentioned earlier. Yeah, but you know, when when you're that good on one foot, well, that's completely contradictory to what I just said. But. Um, it's just annoying, all right? Learn how to use both your feet, you professional footballers. Right, that's the listener's takeaway from Arsenal v Liverpool. If you can use both feet, you're a good player. Spot right. up. Right, we'll move over to my game of the weekend then, um, which was Der Klassiker. A 2 all draw between Dortmund and Bayern. Bayern sort of just throwing away a 2-0 lead um, in quite un-Bayern-like fashion, really. You wish you sort of associate this kind of collapse with Dortmund, really, of the two mm. teams. Um but yeah, obviously Goretzka opens the scoring with a sort of low drive from outside the area. Maya in the Dortmund goal could perhaps do a little bit better. I mean, he, they signed him from the Zwei Bundesliga this summer, um, and the second goal was certainly his fault. It's sort of the ball sort of finds Sane, sort of maybe thirty yards out, twenty-five yards out. So it's a decent effort. Like he hits it pretty well, but the keeper should really be saving. He sort of just parries it into the top corner, and you're looking at the keeper and you're thinking, you know, you've let Dortmund down again. Mm. Like a goalkeeper error has let Dortmund down again. But they managed to change the game. I think Adiemi came off the bench. Huge impact. And was, yeah, yeah, was really, really good. Um, Makoko started the game, scored. Um, it was the first goal for Dortmund. I mean, we'll point out one thing from, from us in that Makoko goal is, is of Makano's role in it. The way that sort of Makano can't really react is, is quite poor, really, to Modeste's run. Yeah, no, his recovery runs are u- usually quite good. But in that scenario, the way he sort of he just he sort of runs back in a straight line. He doesn't really close off the angle to make him go down the line almost. And and then obviously you know Modest changes direction. And he just can't live with it. And you know Modest isn't you know the most agile player yeah, in the it's world. Yeah, it's not like he's been done by someone who should you know you'd imagine it. Like even if it was Makoko, you'd be like, yeah. okay, Fares or Adeyemi for sure. But yeah. Makano's so sort of static in the way he's trying to defend. He's he doesn't, yeah. doesn't doesn't force Modest either way. He's yeah. sort of just faces them square on which is the one thing you shouldn't really do in your own box mm. um, and obviously Makoko sort of is there to, to, to finish with a nice little finish but 
yeah, the the limbs with the final goal, the equaliser. Schlotterbeck somehow keeps it in. Mm. I don't know, I don't quite know how he's done that. Delivers a cross and Modest's there at the back post to head in and the limbs are very impressive. Yeah, it's some of the best limbs I've seen in quite a while. It's about time because Dortmund have been, I think this is the first time they've not lost to Bayern in, I think, eight attempts. Yeah. This, this is the first time. Um, they, they have been the whipping boys in the Classica for a while and so it's, it's about time they sort of fought back because yeah. it's been it's been domination from Bayern. Yeah, it's been billed as like a, you know, a big derby in, in Germany but it hasn't felt like that at times. Bayern have walked, walked all over them, really. Mm home and away um, so it's nice to see Dortmund sort of picking up results in the game itself and the way it finished um, and the game itself yeah was was impressive and that's why it gets my game of the weekend great pick Cammy. Um on to the disappointment of the weekend now um, and we'll start with you with um, a result that cost a manager his job yeah um, Leon won to lose one, uh, Peter Bosch obviously uh, sacked almost immediately after the game, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, and obviously they've brought in Laurent Blanc last night. We, we saw that announcement. We thought uh, it's a bit strange, yeah. really. I couldn't. I was. I was sort of thinking it was over for him as terms of sort of management. Yeah. Well, club management. When was the last time he had a job. So obviously PSG, PSG was was a long, long time ago, mm. twenty fourteen times, and now he's come in at, at Leon. Obviously Peter Bosch is. I think this is probably his third job or so in a row that he's lost after less than 60 games, I think I saw. Mm. So he's not got a great track record of sort of keeping jobs long-term and building a project. And this Leon team do look sort of set up for building a project in the way they've got a lot of young talent coming through, but he's not been given the time to do that because you know results haven't been good and they're sort of their worst run for 30-odd years, really. Um but so Blanc coming in, it's just a, a bit of a rogue shout. I wouldn't quite have imagined. I mean, there were rumours for it, so the, you know, the betting was there for Blanc to take over. But before Bosch was sacked, he wouldn't have been my pick. That's for sure. No, definitely not. I and mean, you're talking about building projects. I mean, you'd, you'd expect Bosch to be that sort of the guy to do it. Yeah. Blanc's, you know, almost a polar opposite. He's not going to, you know, be there long term. I don't think. I don't, he's not a guy where you give him time to implement his style. He's, it's sort of. It's sort of save your season halfway through, try and get back up the table. Because I, I know for a fact we, we were linked um, with Laurent Blanc for a, a few times in terms of after Mourinho got sacked and obviously Oli came in. He's, he's sort of that quick fix. He's not going to you know build a project. And just on the game itself, you know, um, I thought I thought the, the Tete goal it was well worked. You know, Lacazette sort of dropping deep as we know he, he can. Uh, plays it through to Tete, but a little bit lucky with the finish. You know, very, very lucky, massive deflection. Yeah. But you know what he's trying to do. And, and you think this is going to be sort of the, you know the turnaround, and then it, it just doesn't happen, does it? Yeah, it's just the Toulouse equaliser sort of sums up Leon's recent run. Really, mm. the way that the ball is just lost in midfield, um, bit bit like costly, really, and then sort of Lepon goes to try and win it. It's quite a weak challenge from him. I know I'm quite a big fan of Lepinon. You not so much, but you know it's a weak challenge from him. He is kind of at fault here and the ball just sort of bounces around yeah. in their penny box. They can't really clear in. It's just turned on Baratio and it's just kind of like how have you allowed that to happen? It's the amount of bodies to lose get forward as well with almost about three Leon defenders back. I mean, it's an absolute overload in the box. I mean, how, how can you have a system where that is allowed to happen? Yeah. Where, where you just get absolutely swamped in the box? It's a... Uh, Pretty bad. Yeah, Leon will be hoping for a turnaround under Laurent Blanc. Whether that happens or not, we'll wait to see because it will be interesting. I'd like to see what Laurent Blanc does to try and turn this around mm. and whether he gets given time or not. They're going away to Rennes next weekend, which is not the easiest no, not sort of first fixture for Laurent yeah. Blanc because Rennes have been pretty impressive this season so far. So, you know, a tough one to start, but maybe it's the sort of fix they need. But I'm just not quite convinced it is really. No, no, uh, this is a pretty uninspiring appointment. When Bosch first came in, you know, you think the project he had at Leverkusen and the youth he brings through, you think, can he do something similar at Leon? And it's clearly not worked out, but uh, then you go to the polar opposite, to Laurent Blanc, and it's uh, just a really un- uninspiring appointment. Yeah, right, well, my disappointment of the weekend is PSG, held 0-0 by Ream in just a pretty meh game. Obviously, Sergio Ramos with one of just a Sergio Ramos-esque red card. It's just such a silly decision for a player who should be so experienced. So sort of just getting sent off a descent, basically, for mm. 
for just like a nothing foul, just berating the referee, and he's just given his marching orders. At the same time, it's just like, why are you doing that? You you, you should still, PSG should still be beating Ream with 10 men, probably mm. with the talent they have, but Ramos just makes it so much more difficult. Um, Mbappe and Neymar both should score, both have really good chances, and I know Mbappe put on his um, Instagram story that hashtag pivot gang, and in reference to how he wants to play with a another striker in the mould of an Olivier Giroud like he does for France rather than play as the centre forward himself but you know you can't really complain when you've got Neymar and you know, Messi next to you I know um, you know didn't start it was Sir Rabi who started Neymar came off the bench but yeah Mbappe and Neymar both should score PSG 0-0 to Reims and sort of drop points I know they're realistically they're still going to be probably win win the league like with no trouble but you know Lorient are only a point behind now so PSG would be lucky that, that Marseille dropped points really yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I just think Mbappe is becoming more and more unlikable. You, you see the foul he gives away in the last minute, which sort of starts oh, yeah, a, a, a bit, a bit of a scrap. Yeah, that's you awful. Know, it, it's just a just a horrid foul, and sort of sums up where his sort of attitude is right now. If, if he's not winning, he's throwing throwing his toys out the pram. He's sort of almost moulded into Neymar a little bit. That we, the Neymar we saw over the last three or four years at PSG. Uh, I do want to shout out the Reims goalkeeper though, because I thought he was excellent. Uh, Yevan Diouf, you know, he's only played or started three games since since January, and uh, you know, you want your keeper to sort of build up sort of match fitness. You know, nothing could prepare you more than that in terms of being a goalkeeper. Yeah, and he's sort of thrown into the deep end uh, over these last three weeks, and he, he puts in a performance like that against PSG. You know, denies Mbappe. I mean, he, he doesn't make Neymar miss but he, he certainly that Neymar miss is just like he goes through tries to yeah. be clever put it near post instead of just doing a normal effort finish into the far corner he just, just puts it wide and yeah he, he tries to be way too clever yeah though. that's just it was a silly decision and ultimately cost PSG but yeah like you say not the easiest game to go in you know mm. you know, you, when you play PSG in Liga and you do need your keeper really to have sort of a worldie to, mm. to, think, to pick up anything and, and Reem had that mm. Right, on to the player of the weekend section now. And, uh, well, I'll just kick us off very quickly because we've already mentioned my player. And it's Yusufa Makoko. Um, a little bit slightly different, perhaps, because, you know, he scored one goal, but he bullied Bayern Munich. And we've mentioned it on the podcast before about how he sort of bulked up, become a man recently, and become a proper centre forward. And it was the exact same here against Bayern Munich. And I wouldn't be surprised if a performance like that, you know, is, you know, lighting up Hansi Flick's eyes and thinking. Maybe this is my option for the mm. World Cup with Timo Werner, you know, not quite firing in terms of, you know, on the biggest stage of all. We can do it in the Bundesliga, you know, with the, that high line, but can he do it? International football, we've seen him have some pretty poor misses for Germany over the past 12 months that have sort of done the rounds. And maybe Makoko is that option that you want to start, really. Maybe he's the starting striker for Germany. I mean, I think it's a bit bold. Probably won't happen, but he's definitely an option. And I think that, you know, he's getting ever, ever closer to being on the plane. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, I also want to say, uh, you know, just when he scores a goal, it's, it's probably a bit of a reach here, but the way he, he goes for the ball and just basically pushes Neuer over, in, in my head, I just think, you have got a set of bollocks on your son. You know, you know what I mean? To actually go off and push Neuer. Um, and it sort of shows where he is mentally, you know, he just backs himself so much. And we, we've seen that with his, his, his bulking up. And I think you know he's going to be one of one of the stars for the next ten years. Yeah, it's easy to be a flash in a pan youngster, sort of come through really early, and then just sort of your career peters out. But I don't think there's any danger of that happening to no. Makoko really. No. Um, right, do you want to go on to, to your player of the weekend then? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, there's not really much surprise there because we, we talk about him every week because we love him to bits. But uh, it's, it's Bruno G. Yeah, your f- maybe favourite player. Uh, after Ndombele maybe yeah he's, he's certainly up there um, obviously you know two goals in a 5-1 win is pretty impressive and I'm just always amazed at how he weirdly gets loads of goals and assists yeah, in this Newcastle team yeah he does play more as the 8 but you know well, playing even as a 6 he seems to get goals and, and yeah, assists yeah, like, and even starting 6 yeah, I mean, there's, there's no trouble for him he just sort of does what he wants really yeah, yeah started 6 at the weekend and it, we, we never saw that at Leon ever that sort of goal Goal scoring ability, but he, he seems to have picked it up. Maybe from Eddie Howe's coaching, you know, he's he's renowned for getting Dan Gosling on the score sheet every week. Dan Gosling did score. Yeah, a no, few, he, good few he goals in Bournemouth. Remember he scored against Chelsea actually, yeah. Stamford Bridge. Right, they beat you every week, didn't they? Yeah, for, for Bournemouth bit. did like playing against Chelsea, but um, yeah, but yeah, no, like um, 
obviously the goal itself, maybe David Raya uh, on the first goal could be. Co- no, actually, no, both you yeah. know, could be called into question because you could, you shouldn't really be scoring a header from that distance. There, there's a lot yeah. of time for that ball to travel in the air before it reaches the goal, and obviously he gets he gets a finger to it, but it, it's not enough. It, it's pretty weak goalkeeping from him. Um, and then the second goal itself, you know, should it be going in? At that, at that near post, we, we were talking about this the other day, weren't we? Keepers now seem to really get caught out at the near post. It seems they they're always predicting that far post strike because that's that's where the the biggest space is. But people switching it to the near post, that sort of hip snap that they do, it, it seems to really catch them out now because they're stepping towards the far post and then they're sort of scrambling back and they they can't actually reach the ball. Yeah, it happened with the Demarco goal for Inter against Roma, where Patricio sort of wrong footed and yeah, it's definitely something to keep an eye on because it's. You know, something that might be coming into the game a little bit more frequently, a way to beat the keeper. Right, we'll go on to our Premier League review then. Um, we'll quickly touch on the Newcastle game. Obviously, mentioned it a bit there with Bruno G, but obviously, I think we'll touch on David Raya. Um, the second goal that Newcastle score is poor distribution from a keeper that we normally associate with having great distribution. He sort of just plays it straight to Callum Wilson who then squares to Jacob Murphy and it's just a bit... Paul from Raya, who's a keeper that I really like. I yeah. think he's you know one of the top keepers in the Premier League, and it's an area you don't normally see from him. Who is he's normally like a specialist with his feet, really, and that's something you'd expect from someone who's not quite so comfortable from playing out from the back. Um, obviously, Tony scored, got on the score sheet, clinical pen from him, and and then we get on to Ethan Pinnock, who you know it's his first start of the season, um, and he didn't have a very good game. Obviously, just gifted Almer on a goal when mm. losing on the edge of the box, and then scored an own goal. Yeah, not not the, not the welcome back to the Premier that he was really looking for. Um, but just on David Raya, I mean, we we both took him out of our fantasy teams. We we had a feeling this was coming, you know, potentially an absolute disaster class, and that's what it was. We know so much about FPL, clearly. Spot on. Um, right, we'll touch on to Man City's 4-0 win over Southampton. Um, I think we'll, you'd like to discuss a little bit about João Cancelo first. Well, he's just a guy, isn't he? You know what I mean? He's just the guy. When, when people have these Cancelo, Reese James, Trent debates, it is Cancelo. But you know, maybe that's a conversation for another day. Um, obviously, he's playing at left back. Naturally, a right back, you'd say. Naturally, a right back. But I think he's better at left back. I prefer him. Yeah, no, on he, the left. he's obviously way more devastating cutting in on the right foot. But in terms of functionality, you're, you're always going to be better defending on that right hand side as a yeah. right footer than you yeah. are on the left I do yeah I do get that because you're tackling with your weaker mm. foot but like we mentioned earlier being two footed is very important mm. and I mean Cancelo would much prefer to put in a Traveller cross than a left footed cross mm. from, from the left hand side but there's definitely question marks I think about his defending it's yeah, something definitely. that you know I feel that negates away from some of the attacking threat he possesses because of how you know he can be exposed you can get at Jao Cancelo that's for sure but yeah for for his goal it completely sells Wall Prowse doesn't he and then just you know just smashes it in like a, a forward would really it, it is unfair having him at left back yeah yeah, it's, it's like an extra winger it, yeah he doesn't really play as a, a full yeah. back at all I mean people mention how he moves into midfield and stuff but the way he's always contributing in the final third is like a winger yeah, just, and the way he plays is like a winger yeah just so complete just comfortable anywhere Love him to bits. Yeah, he wears a number seven, so if you told me he was a wing, I wouldn't even doubt yeah, it, really. So, yeah. <laughs> um, And obviously there's a chip from Foden, right right pass, right time from De Bruyne to, to sort of it sit always him is. in. Yeah. Yeah, as much as it pains me to say it, he always makes that, that correct ball. Yeah, Mahrez scores, and then it's a, and then just a classic Man City goal and the fact that it's just a cutback. I mean, it's a one-two between Cancelo and De Bruyne, and then Cancelo cuts it back, and it's Haaland there, so means a goal really I mean he was yeah. so unlucky just with that first one where he's right footed and mm. it's come off the inside of the post and looked like it's going to gonna bounce in but it doesn't quite but yeah he got his goal and we were expecting him to score and he yeah, did yeah. yet again yeah, proof that he's human though finally he can miss yeah it is possible for him to miss by about let's say about three centimetres because if it's any more to the right it just nestles in the corner but yeah, um, yeah Harlan mate stop scoring it's a bit unfair <laughs> um, we'll quickly touch on Chelsea's win over Wolves um, I watched this full game and was very impressed by two players I wasn't quite expecting to be too impressed by Mount because <laughs> well, not rubbish it was a you know Mason Mount with two open play assists which um, sort of goes against what 
what Jamie's been saying with his open play it's about charts creation. You know I mean? It's about talent. Um, but we'll quickly, before we get on to Mason Mount, uh, we'll quickly touch on Conor Gallagher and Cesar Aspilicueta, who tore Wolves to shreds down Chelsea's right. Um, Conor Gallagher, we mentioned it last podcast, that he could have a sort of a revitalisation under Graham Potter, a play that Potter might like, and started in this game and was excellent. The way he pressed from the front is what we expect from Conor Gallagher now. Creating chances, heart the pitch. Get him heart the pitch and he's going to cause damage, which mm. is what Potter's figured out pretty quickly and a lot quicker than Tuchel figured out, really. Um, and yeah, Aspilicueta, I've thought this for a little while now, has been past his best at centre-back, which is weird to say considering he was once considered sort of the best defender in terms of just defending in the Premier League, I think. Yeah, there was definitely a period, probably 2016... 17, 18, where he was, it was like, well, he, he didn't miss a game. He was like unbeatable in terms of one v one defending, and clearly he's lost that sort of that physicality that, that sort of maybe covered up for it. Yeah, he he was always very aggressive in tackle. The way he mm. was always won the ball, and his recovery speed was pretty good. And it seems like he's lost that recovery speed a lot when he plays right centre back in about three. Aspilicueta can be got at very easily. His recovery speed's not great. He can't quite turn as well as he used to, but. Further forward, he's actually been pretty decent. Whenever he's played there, it's always a bit of a, oh, Aspilicueta's playing wing-back this time. It's a bit like, why is that happening? But he's actually better there than he is at centre-back. At least that's my personal opinion. And him and Colin Gallagher down the right were excellent. That first 30 minutes, Chelsea probably could have scored four. And it pretty much all came from their work down the right wing, which is not something that I was expecting to see coming into the game. I was expecting a lot more to come down the left with Pulisic and Havertz and Mount combining, but it was Conor Gallagher and Cesar Filiqueta mm. who made the most of Chelsea's chances. And you know, fair play to them for coming in and staking their claim. Obviously, Rhys James was rested for this game, with you know one eye on AC Milan and the Champions League. And Aspilicueta proved that he's still capable of you know being a good squad option at right back or right wing back. Yeah, I mean, he shouldn't be starting every game. Oh, not not at all, no. But yeah, no, he's he's still useful as as much as you know people on Chelsea Twitter try and say he's useless. He definitely does, you know, still have some part to play in in Chelsea's season because you know this might be, you know, maybe his last season, maybe he's finally sold. Um, but he's proven that he can still have some use. Trevor Chalaber also another impressive performer. Um, got the nod after Fafana's injury and looks like he might have played his way back into favour after being unfancied and the end of Tuchel's spell. Mason Mount, I know you're not going to like it, but the you know the first assist is pretty. Fortunate, I mean, Saar, I'm not quite sure where yeah, he's but, going. Exactly, it's pretty fortunate. But the second assist is very good. I know you, you've said to me that Max Kilman should do better there, and perhaps you know he could intercept it. But for me, the, the way that Mount sort of reverse passes that through the gap between Samir and Kilman is very good, and Pulisic's finish is good as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'll definitely commend Pulisic because yeah, yeah, we, we've all seen that video of Chelsea Twitter saying this looks exactly like Eden Hazard from three or four years ago and it weirdly does resemble him quite a lot um, but Mason Mount you're getting nothing from Mason and then we'll finish off yeah with just Armando Brogia's finish yeah, was, yeah, was very goal. good Yeah, very for nice. a first goal the way he sort of just cuts inside and just smashed it in the bottom corner looked pretty effortless really mm. and it's perhaps you know maybe he gets a little bit more of a chance maybe from a start next um, probably won't get that against Milan you imagine it's a Bamiang but yeah. Maybe next weekend in the Prem, that's that's Broge's time to have a start. Yeah, it's good competition for Aubameyang because you know he, he could potentially think, "Oh, I'm at Chelsea. I'm like the big guy. I am the only striker here. I can sort of coast along like, like he did at Arsenal for the last couple of you know the, the last part of his his time there." Um, but you know, Broge is going to be right on his on his heels, chomping at the bit. Yeah, well, obviously. Well, quick, well, we won't really touch on on Brighton's game against Spurs, but we did watch it. Um, Spurs weren't too inspiring really in Brighton it's becoming a bit alarming actually the level of performance of Spurs now I mean they're still winning games but we're not seeing the same they they did play 3-5-2 like you told them to do and it was still awful so what are you doing you know what I mean don't listen to you basically yeah yeah fairs Um, but you know the 3-5-2 that I saw at the the start of the year in January against Liverpool that was absolutely electric counter-attacking not just counter-attacking football just possession football they were playing through Liverpool at will and we're just not seeing the sort of circuits we're used to in terms of Conte's sort of patterns of play. You know, that reverse ball into the striker, third man run off the centre mid that we were so used to seeing at Inter and Chelsea, you know, over the last 
four or five years. Yeah, Brighton definitely could have done better. Caicedo, I thought, lost the ball a little bit too easily in midfield. Disappointing for him. But yeah, Brighton could have done better and Spurs probably a bit fortunate to come away with three points, really. League on time now. Um, We'll start with a shock result as Marseille lost to bottom of the league, Ajaccio, um, having gone 1-0 up. Uh, Yeah, pretty shocking stuff, actually, in terms of Probably, yeah, de- definitely up there with the PSG draw. You know, first loss of the season for Marseille. You know, Guendouzi out of the game. Obviously, a big miss for them. Um, but I just thought that this should be relatively straightforward when you go one nil up. I mean, obviously, the goal itself comes quite fortunately through the penalty. You know, Sanchez traps the ball in the box, and it's quite a poor touch. You know, it's sort of the touch we expect from Sanchez over the last <laughs> three seasons or so. Yeah. Um, and obviously, it comes off um, at Avinel and. Uh, it, you know, gets his first goal of the season. Yeah, and then Ajaccio just sort of came back into it, and you know, Blanco. I mean, the first one you can't do really much about. I think it sort of just comes through loads of bodies, and Bemba probably could close down. Yeah, a he's, little not, he's bit not intense better. enough with his pressing in terms of he's on the edge of the box. There's not much else on for him in terms of a pass out wide. You've got to just engage straight away and stop that shot yeah it's not a great finish but I'll give I'll sort of let Blanco off because it did sort of come through bodies and he did see it late really um, but the, the final goal Bellardi own goal Blanco doesn't really move it's just one of those where sort of you see it's going to happen the cross mm. comes in a centre half goes for it and then it's just like uh, it seems like forever you just like the ball's going in yeah, and yeah, it's just t- going in you can't do anything it was like time stopped for that moment where it's sort of like trickling into the goal you know obviously Blanco's just I mean, he tries to move over, but it's like he's stuck in mud. Yeah, he, he literally he just cannot get over. <laughs> uh, you know, obviously a, a really painful first loss of the season for Marseille. Yeah, we'll go on to Nice, three-two winners of a Trois, almost sort of a collapse here, three-nil up, and, and Trois mounted a little bit of a late comeback, but weren't able to get it over the line. Um, the first goal was a goal that really impressed you, the cross from Diop and a really nice header from Viti at the near post. Oh yeah, the, the, the way he sort of improvised, because the, the cross from Diop, it's it's good, it obviously picks him out, but it is behind him, and he has to adjust and sort of move his neck around. Um, Jamie has just demonstrated that here, but obviously you can't see that. Uh, you'll just have to believe me, it's a really good header, the, the way he sort of improvises and reacts really well to it, and obviously you know, it sort of slams into the near post, and it's, it's a really good goal. Yeah, then Nicola Pepe sort of turned up uh, in a nice shirt. Won the penalty quite well. The way he wins it is is well. Delort, you know, gets you know he's a bit fortunate the way the keeper gets a hand on his penalty. But then will Pepe the way he sort of bursts away for his goal is just to him prime at Lille. It's prime Pepe. It's prime Pepe. And is he it's, back? It's, it's good to see not. the way he sort of just bursts through. I mean, it's it's flat foot defending from Salmier, but yeah. Pepe just absolutely roasts him with pace down the outside. And a couple of times he's, he'd sort of come inside onto his left foot during the game, but this time it's like, no, I'm going down the line, and he just you know makes the space and then finishes it. That's off. when Pepe's at his best, when he doesn't have to think about something for ages, when he sort of has to pin up his man one-on-one. That's when he sort of struggles with sort of getting the decisions right but when he just goes instinctive I'm just going to burst through I'm not going to try and cut inside of my left like I always do um, you know that's when he's, he's really at his best and what we saw from him in that in that Lille season in 18-19 yeah and almost a collapse from Nice like I mentioned earlier the first goal is a deflection from Savalier's half for it just wrong foot Schmeichel and then a goal at the end that Conti scores is like Tadebo is so poor going across to it the way he just sort of lacks a daisical challenge really he just sort of runs over and then to try and tackle and then just gets really nowhere near it it, it reminded points. me of Trent uh, for the second goal it's that sort of I'm going over here but do I really want to win this ball yeah no yeah and then Dante sort of done with a flick and then Schmeichel should just do better with a finish but Castro Schmeichel is not in his prime anymore and the fact he got to move to Nice is a bit surprising to me really yeah definitely um but you sort of saw his decline at Leicester in the last couple of seasons. Um, and obviously, Dante, I mean, he's been done for years, hasn't he? Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, touch on Lorient's win over Brest, a double for, for Moffy, and that means they're now second, one point off PSG. And incredible, really, when you, this time last year you'd be like, well, if we survive a drop, that's a mm. good season. And now they're second, and looking at Europe. Yeah, no, what, what a turnaround. You know, sort of similar in terms of. Union Berlin, you're not quite sure how they're there, but they are. Yeah. Um, and then that, that's the same with Lorient and Lon, to be honest. Um, you know, in terms of squad, squad size and budget compared to 
you know some of the giants uh, in the French league. Um, quickly touch on Rennes' three 0 win over Nantes. The first goal from from Guiri, a nice little improvised header from Again. about three yeah. yards out. Yeah. Callum Wendy's uh, cross, and then yeah, it was a nice you know sort of team move to to play through Nantes for the second for for the Terriers goal. And the one we really want to talk about, I was just wrapping through those first two goals mm. to talk about Desiree Douay's wonder goal in off the crossbar. Oh, he is the next thing to come off the Wren production line. Mm-hmm. He scored in midweek to become the first player born in 2005 to score in European competition for a, for a team in Europe's top five leagues. And the goal he scores here is unreal. Just on top of the right flank, just the way he touches out his feet and just absolutely smashes it in off the bar. Yeah, it is, it is a real Pavard tribute act, the way he sort of touch, slice across, but it's just hit with so much power and venom. And the celebration... Uh, pretty cold, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. sort of just looks at it like he's, it was sort of similar the to, to the Skamaka one, but the Skamaka one was for different reasons because he's like, oh, this this is going to be chalked off. This is going to be chalked <laughs> off. But no, this was actually a cold selling. Yeah, really, really good from doing. And he's a he's a player that we both really like, and he's a player that has played so much for a player so young. Mm. Like he's just a starter at Ren now yeah. in a team that's. You know, got a lot of competition for places where you've got Lovro Mar starting on the bench now. You've got so many options in forward areas, and I know he's playing central midfield, but yeah, so good to see him playing week in, week out. Mm. Um, and lastly, on League Gun, we'll touch on it because we couldn't actually watch the game. BT Sport absolutely did us in. Yeah, so we tried to turn on for, for Lille v Long, uh, 1 0 win for Lille, but we tried to watch it and it was just the BT Sport logo um, and so we just couldn't watch the games and so it was a bit, a bit of a you know frustrating for us to not be able to watch that live because we wanted to see the game live obviously a derby and you know it was a heated affair from, from all accounts and it was a Jonathan David penalty that won it so you know it's one of the biggest games in France you know the such heated rivalry between those two sides and you know BT Sport you know decided they didn't, weren't going to show it so you know step up your game lads <laughs> We'll move on to our Serie A review now, and we'll start with Inter getting a win, a much-needed win, really, over Sassuolo, a 2-1 win. Ed and Dzeko with them both. Um, the first one is a, is a pretty lucky finish, and sort of the ball's behind him. He sort of gets a slight touch on it, and it sort of somehow goes in. Mm. Yeah, you see that. So, you you see in. that sort of finish so often, sort of gets sliced. Yeah, it basically just goes backwards, you know, away from goal almost. It's like a clearance most yeah. of the time when you have that sort of strike where you. You're just gonna try and sort of hook it almost, yeah, into the goal, and you know, luckily Jacko does do that. Yeah, and then the Sassuolo finish is very unorthodox from Fratesi, the way he sort of just volleys it from about shoulder height, the way it sort of goes in, um, sort of smashes past Onana, no chance. Um, up the other end, Consigli made an unreal save from Lautaro, but then his positioning for Jacko's winner is just really strange, the way he sort of just comes off his line, and then it's just nowhere really for Jacko just to tap in yeah. from. Yeah, from six yards. You make a save like that, and then you you do something like that, which actually costs your team, you know, a, a vital point. You know, it's, it's just just classic Serie A, really. Yeah. Um, but I, I do think you know the, the two goals that Inter do score, they are slightly fortunate. Um, yeah. It's not a good like a performance where you're like, oh yeah, you deserved yeah. the goals you scored. You know, the, the writing's still on the wall for Inzaghi. You know, he's he's not out of the woods yet. Um, and a manager who might not be out the woods yet as well is Allegri, whose Juventus side lost 2-0 at San Siro to AC Milan. Um, goals from Tomori and Brahim Diaz. Tomori's goal is just from point-blank range, from like a corner, he just touches it down and just smashes it in. Um, very sort of expressionless celebration from Tomori. Another cold celebration. Yeah, another yeah. good one, really. And then Brahim Diaz. Can you please speak about Benucci's role in this goal? Uh, Benucci did his best Maguire tribute act. That's the best way I can say it. Just absolutely froze. Just n- no sort of reaction, no no recovery speed because he just stands there like a statue. It's just, you know, schoolboy defending, really. You know, you, I'd expect me to do that if I got skinned in midfield. Not, <laughs> not a professional footballer. Yeah, and then Chesney in goal, it's poor. The way he just goes down so early and then just pushes it in, I just... He, ma- mean, he makes himself smaller. He makes yeah. himself so small by going down, basically horizontally. It's like he's doing a plank or something. Yeah. Why? Why are you doing that? You meant to spread yourself as as you know f- big as possible. And he's yeah. just not done that. Yeah, I'm not Chesney's biggest admirer. That's for sure. And this was one where I saw it happen. I thought, yeah, you should be doing a lot better there. But again, I'm not too surprised because I've not been Chesney's biggest admirer. Like I said, for mm. for a long time now. Um, and one thing I will say is it was just. A really controlled performance from Milan. You know, yeah. after you know such a 
not an embarrassing loss to Chelsea, but it certainly wasn't what we'd expect from a three 0 loss. You know, just bounced back really well, and obviously right now just showing the levels between between them and Juve. Yeah, well, quickly before we go on, Brahim Diaz. It was a very good goal. We've mentioned how Bonucci's at fault, Chesney's at fault, but Brahim Diaz, nice to see you get it's the a score good goal. sheet. Yeah, yeah, it's a good yeah. counter-attacking goal. Intercepts Vlahovic's pass, and then just yeah, runs through and scores. Um, quickly on to a Udinese Atalanta top of the table clash. Really, two all draw. I mean, those two sides are, are right up there still. Um, but for back-to-back weeks, we've seen Muriel square to Lutman to score for Atalanta. Yeah, that could be a real real combination this season. Uh, I mean, the, the, the pass itself, you know, it's, it slides away from Pasolik and then, um, you yeah, know, Lutman once again sort of showing he's got that, maybe he's got a poacher gene in him, which yeah. I never thought he really I, had. Yeah, that's the complete opposite of what he was before in yeah. terms of like a dribbly winger, but mm. maybe it's the side of the game that he's developed at Atalanta, which would be nice to see because it's a, an area of his game that he probably could work on. You, th- you think getting goals is one thing that Adam O'Lookman can, can do better and he's proven that he, he's doing it at Atalanta and then I was really disappointed for the you know the second goal Atalanta scored. Adoji's role in it. Adoji's a player that Obviously, he's joining Tottenham. He's back on loan at Udinese, and is you know big talent. But he just gets beaten down the lines far too easily by Muriel. It's just a really silly foul to give away, and then Muriel scores the penalty, and then from there yeah, on in, you, you just, just, just can't nibble in like he does. It's it's just amateur, isn't it? The way he just he's trying to save face by going, oh, I've been beaten, but I'm gonna I'm gonna make a great recovery, but. Just let him go there, because it's not guaranteed to be a goal, but most of the time a penalty is. Yeah, and then, you know, Gerard Delafoe comes up with a free kick. Um, sort of seems like it sort of goes through the wall. The wall looks looks like it splits, whether it goes round it or over it. It does kind of just look like it sort of just goes through the wall. Sort of knuckleball technique that Delafoe has, and mm. and he sort of pulls Udinese back in it, and then. Coop Miners is just really, really poor for the equaliser. I'm really, really disappointed because Tay Coop Miners is a player I really like and think could add a lot to a lot of teams across Europe, but this was not a good look for him. Um, well, yeah, like the intensity when you, when you lead in a game against, I mean, this is title rivals right now, and the way he sort of goes to shepherd the ball out almost, but he's, he's not getting there. You you have to just throw yourself at that ball or make yourself bigger at least because he's, he's just so sort of narrow in terms of his. You know his actual area where where the ball can hit him. Uh, that that cross should not come in, and it does. And it, it's just really poor defending from Coop Miners. Yeah, he should just close down Pereira the way that he just sort of allows the cross to come in. It's such like a sort of lazy run over to try yeah. and do it, a lazy leg out to try and block it, and then Perez just heads in from inside the six yard box, and it's two two. And you're thinking like, how have we let this slip from two 0 up? You should be in a secure position to hold out for the win, and Atlanta can't do that, and it's Coop Miners' fault really. So. Mm. Disappointing for him. Um, we'll quickly, quickly touch on Napoli's win over Cremonese. 4-1 win, away to Cremonese. Um, Kravitz Skelia wins a penalty. Polatano scores. We've seen that happen before, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, wasn't really fancied at Inter in, in terms of, you know, just consistent game time. He, he was always coming off the bench. But he, he seems to have really, you know, found his feet at Napoli um, on that right-hand side. You know, he's, he's always, when, when you're that small and nimble and you've got a left foot like he does, you're always going to, you know, cause problems, and we we didn't see that enough at Inter, maybe because of the the lack of opportunity. But now he's he's really you know, not not the main man because there's, there's so many you know different contributing factors to why Napoli is so good right now. But he's certainly he's certainly a big part of it. One thing that caught my eye as well was Mario Rui's cross for Simeone. Again, it was literally identical to what happened against Milan. Sort of just from the left hand side, a little bit of a deep position for Rui crossing, and Simeone just powers it in and. Maybe that's the start of a little bit of a combination that you wouldn't really expect, but could be pretty proficient. A bit like Aspilicueta Morata, you know, yeah. prime Aspilicueta and Morata at Chelsea. I was and thinking more Adama and Jimenez a few seasons ago. That, that was the one that really sprung to my mind. Then that's cr- crossing and heading. Yeah. yeah, I suppose. Yeah, but just a deep cross is yeah. what I was thinking more. Yeah. The way that yeah, I, I guess Adama's more byline cross. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Kraut sort of squares it for, for Lozano or two v one against the keeper, and then. Oliveira scores Pavel Eder, so pretty just easy for Napoli. It was, you know, expected, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, Dessa scored for Cremonese, but it was always like, surely Napoli are going to win this, and, and they did really pretty comfortably in the end. Mm, good to see my best mate in Dumbledore getting a start as well. He only played 57 minutes, but it's good to see him. You know, Tired after 57, I imagine. Uh, shut up. Um, yeah, good to see him getting minutes after such a great performance against Ajax in, in the Champions League. <laughs> Uh, 
Uh, we'll move on to our Bundesliga review then, and we'll start with Xabi Alonso's managerial debut for Bayer Leverkusen and a 4 0 win over Schalke. Yeah, Skulls won his first game for Oldham 4 0. It's not, not too impressive, is it? No, no, I'm joking. I love I love Xabi Alonso to bits, eh? Um, you know, obviously, loved him as a player, even though he played for Liverpool. Um, you know, there was always such you know, a sort of romanticism about, you know, that sort of era of Spanish midfielders and, and with Perlo as well you know you always thought him and Xabi Alonso were cut from the same cloth of, of class hopefully not managerial class because you know Perlo was sort of exposed in his first big time role at Juve but obviously a, a perfect start for Xabi Alonso uh, on the weekend yeah the first goal is Moussa Diaby showing what he can do mm. it's a great pass through lines from Andrich and then Diaby just absolutely smacks into the top corner from 25-30 yards and yeah really impressive and then Callum Hudson-Odoi who's finding his feet for sure at Leverkusen maybe not getting the goals and assists that you perhaps hope he would but his work in the build up for the second goal is incredible the way he's on the halfway line just spins his man 360 spin basically and then beats another man finds DRB over that run finish from Fringpon it just looks so simple but it's so good from Hudson doing the build up mm. and right, he's done that a few times now for, for Leverkusen in terms of you know it's not going to go down as his assist but he has played such a big role in that goal happening through just you know his, his sheer you know technique I mean we, we've always seen He's got some of the best footwork in terms of you know English talent, so I definitely put him up there in terms of like that Foden bracket of you know dribbling ability, and we saw it there for that second goal. Yeah, and obviously Fringpong then doubled his tally for the day um, with sort of a left foot finish, um, sort of dribbles in the way he sort of shoots. It's quite lucky that it's not lucky, but it's a well placed effort. But the way it sort of takes ages to roll over the line, he doesn't quite get a clean contact on it, and then Polina scores the fourth. Um, transition goal like you see in the Bundesliga and nice to see Paulinho sort of score he's not mm. really had much game time no, well, interestingly all four goals come on that transition where it's it's quick and it's incisive I mean obviously you see that in the Bundesliga all the time but that could be sort of one of the hallmarks of Xabi Alonso's you know, style of play he's not not counter attacking but it's quick and it's incisive football that gets you up the pitch as quickly as possible yeah. sort, sort of in that sort of Kante sort of mould yeah he's picked it up well obviously he played in the Bundesliga with Bayern so he knows the league and has figured out that's what to do and Leverkusen who haven't had a great start to the season it's a big win for them and he's also got the players to, to play that kind of way with hudson mm. with DRB with Fringpong you've got pace you've got dribbling ability and the, the ability to progress the ball quickly so he's got the perfect players to set up like that and it seems like that could be a winning formula mm. obviously we touched on the Classico at the top of the podcast so we won't mention that but we'll we'll move on to Gladbach's 5-2 win over Cologne um you know, Gladbach last weekends were pretty poor, so we feel like we've got to cover them when they win. Mm. Um, and the main culprit, I guess, is Ben Sabaini, who last week scored quite a ridiculous own goal. Also was at fault for another goal for his you know poor pass back, but scored a penalty and scored again later in the game. So so from sort of the villain to the hero in back-to-back weeks for Ben Sabaini, and then two round with a lovely little finish at the end, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, I mean, that's the sort of stuff we expect from Taram. He hasn't really shown it much sort of over the last year or so. You know, it's, it's not the same, say, Marco Rosa team of player Taram and uh, and Bowler. Uh, but we, we, we know he's, he's got this in his locker. The way he sort of, that the power he generates from such a, it, there's very little bat lift. It's just sort of like a roll of the ankle almost to the outside. And the way it just, you know, hits the roof of the net, it was um, just classic Taram, really. Yeah, and then, Union Berlin with a classic Union Berlin win, header from a corner to you know stay top of the league with a one nil win over Stuttgart. So big for them, and the Bundesliga is still close because Bayern have sort of dropped yeah. points to sort of for the, op- yeah, for open the, first, the door really yeah. for everyone else. For the first time in a while, you know Bundesliga in terms of top of the table is looking pretty pretty interesting because you know Bayern four points off the pace. You know you don't see that very often with, with nine games into the season now. Right, we'll go on to La Liga then, um, just to finish off. We'll start with Atleti's 2-1 win over Girona. Um, a decent win, Angel Correa. Getting on the score sheet twice, so a good performance from him. Um, so the first one is a nice little back-heeled finish from him. The cross is slightly behind him from Griezmann. Um, and then the second is just really poor from, from Carlos in the Girona goal. He just passed it straight to Correa to score. It was a prime David Raya disaster, basically. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. And then Raquel May, one week on from his absolute wonder goal that we spoke about 
um, sort of deflected effort. We we saw it lining up, and we were thinking, watch, watching the highlights, we were thinking yeah. that he's not scored two worlds in a row. The way he sort of lined up for it, it just deflected in, and we were a little bit disappointed that he mm. hadn't scored a similar goal like he did last week. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing I will say on Correa is, is he sort of underrated? I, th- I think he I is. I think so, yeah. He's I, a very think, good player. I think a lot of Athletes forward players, because they don't really... They're so heavily rotated. They don't really get that chance to really flourish under Simeone. I mean, we've we've known that for a while because they are, you know, renowned for being a defensive team. But individually, you know, Correa can be along with the likes of you know Cunha as well, João Felix, Morata. They've got stuff there to really you know challenge uh, Real and, and Barca, but it's not quite happening for them this season. Yeah, a team who had sort of been challenging Real and Barca of Athletic Club who were held away to Sevilla. Um, the first goal is a goal that really confused us because we realised that Casper Dahlberg, you know, Sevilla's striker, wears a number five, which didn't really sit right with us. Uh, yeah, it never does. What was it, Hal robson Carney? He wore number four for West Brom. And when I saw Casper Dahlberg with the five on it, it left a, a similar sort of sour taste in the mouth. That should not be happening ever in any team. No, yeah, the reason obviously why is because he sort of touches it in the box for Oliver Torres to, to sort of run onto it, basically tackles Dolberg really and then just prod in from close range and then the equaliser from Athletic Club, you know, we've been talking about how the Williams brothers have sort of been balling out, scoring these beautiful goals and it's, you know, not quite as, you know, it's not one of them who scores it but it is a very good goal and it comes from a really weird clearance from Gadelge on his right foot just straight to Vesga who then just absolutely rifles it into the bottom corner of his yeah. left foot. What's he doing trying to sort of turn around and sort of tap it out basically he sort of shows his one footedness there in the fact that normal defenders there they just sort of hoof it clear with the left going over but the, the way he sort of pivots around the ball just sort of it, it was really amateur and you know it costed them the win yeah um, we'll go on to Real Madrid then 1-0 win over Getafe pretty uninspiring win considering they scored in the third minute with Militao and a nice little header but you know Rodrigo scored a goal he was offside um Remember that made me laugh. Really, the one standout moment from this game, which is frustrating, is Jenny's role in sort of the ninety-sixth minute or something, ninety-fourth minute, I think it is. Sort of just goes over in the box, falls over, and then once he's hit the ground, he decides sort of to bounce back up and start rolling again. And that that certainly made me laugh. It's one one of the best dives I've ever seen. Certainly up there with um, you know the likes of yeah, you know Prime Ashley Young for United. He, he won us a lot of pens back in the day with that sort of behaviour. Yeah. As for the game itself, um, Real Madrid didn't look too good mm. um, just sort of pretty just meh game a 1-0 win away to Getafe got the job done come home with the three points but yeah not particularly inspiring performance yeah we're starting to see signs now obviously the draw last week to Osuna um, maybe you know is there, is there a real title challenge this season with Barcelona because Madrid has certainly you know, shown some vulnerabilities right now yeah um, and speaking of Barcelona they also had a 1-0 win at home to Celta Vigo um, the goal itself it's a lovely little third man run from Gabby isn't Beautiful. it crosses it in Nunes should do way better the clearance just sort of touches it there for Pedri to tap home mm. a proper strange goal to concede really one you'd be very disappointed with mm. but the one thing that we took away from the game which we didn't really realise because we didn't look at the starting lines before the game but Marcus Alonso started centre back and Alejandro Balde played at right back Oh, Eric Garcia was on the bench the centre back was on the bench and Marcus Alonso started at centre back it, it is like playing Ronaldo at the back you know what I mean they're, like, they're similar players they're both absolute tap-in merchants at the back post um, and it's sort of it, even though they got the win it's sort of it, it doesn't really show up well on Xavi that he thinks Marcus Alonso is a suitable centre back option in, in terms of you know their hopes of going deep in the Champions League if you, you turn up with Marcus Alonso at centre back He's not going to be there half the time. He's going to be poaching at the back post. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, I'm not sure if there was a, an injury or something similar to Eric Garcia, which is why he was only on the bench. But Frankie Dion was on the bench, and we've seen him play at centre back for Ajax before. Xavi used that a little bit in pre season. And I understand out of Balde, Alba, and Marcus Alonso, Alonso probably makes the most sense to play at centre back given that he's six foot one and the other two are very small. But it's still just, yeah, very strange. In, in, terms of, in terms of defensive acumen, he's probably got the least out of all of them. Yeah, it's just there for the height and physicality, yeah. surely. But 
it is strange that you know Garcia's on the bench, Frankie de Jong's on the bench, and you're starting Marcus Alonso at centre back, a player who has been heavily criticised for anything he does in his own half, really, and you know praised for what he does in the opposition mm, half. Yeah. For a left back, is you know not good enough, and then for a centre back especially, it's just not what you need really. Mm. But they won, so maybe that is the tactic. Maybe we're idiots. Yeah. Maybe Xavi's ahead of the curve, eh? Yeah. Maybe Marcus Alonso is actually a centre back, mm. and we've been fooled all this time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but that's actually all we've got time for uh, this week on the Back to Goal podcast. Um, thank you very much for joining me, Jamie, as always. Yeah, it's been a pleasure, mate. I've, I've really enjoyed chatting some more ball with you. Yeah, always a pleasure, never a chore, that old saying, eh? Yeah, the feelings mutual, the feelings mutual. Anyway, thank you very much for listening to the Back to Goal podcast. We'll be back next week and we'll catch you there. <laughs>